Acts chapter 16, please. And then once you find your place there, turn over to Philippians chapter 4. While you're turning in your Bible, let me give you this announcement. It's the last day for the ladies to sign the Christmas cards for the missionary wives in South Africa. Those cards are on the usher's table. This is for all the ladies of the church to sign those cards. This is the last day. Please do so. And those can get sent out, okay? Thank you. Acts chapter 16. I'm going to direct your attention to verse 25 and following. The Bible says, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself supposing that the prisoners had fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. This passage here is maybe one of the best known and most exciting salvation stories uh, in the Bible. I mean, there's lots of them, and maybe that's, um, you know, your take on it, whether that's exciting to you or not. Maybe that's relevant to or dependent on you as a person. But I know this is one exciting salvation story for all the things that have taken place or took place in this passage. And we're not really going to focus on the salvation aspect of it here this afternoon. But what I want to do is draw attention to verse 25 because we observe in it a great life principle that God can be the one who gets glory out of any situation of life, even the most trying times. And what I want to talk to you about this afternoon is Man's extremity being God's opportunity. Extreme things in our life sometimes can be the very thing that is the opportunity for God to get glory for himself or to work in our life. And I'm going to direct your attention really to one main thought here, and it's going to tie into Philippians chapter 4. But the thing that I want you to see here, uh, first of all, in this afternoon, is, is I want you to notice the testimony of Paul and Silas here. The Bible says in verse 25 that at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. Notice the testimony of Paul and Silas. What a testimony it was. It was a testimony because other people heard and observed their uh, response and their action to these trying circumstances in their life. It had an effect, an impact on other people. And it was a tremendous testimony. Here the Bible says that they're in prison right now. They're in in shackles. Their their feet are are fast in the stocks. They've been been in prison. They've been probably brutalized and, and other things. And here they are 
praying and singing praises to God in the middle of such a, a, a traumatic and trying experience. And I think about this, like, they were singing <laughs> praise unto God. You know, if they had the song, To God Be the Glory, they probably weren't singing like a lot of Baptists do. To God be the glory, great things He hath done. I was just thinking about that as we were singing the last song. And I'm up here not singing, and I'm looking, observing, watching. And I let you know, we've got so much to thank the Lord for. We sing songs like, To God be the glory, great things He hath done. And never a smile would crack our face. Never a thought of the joy of the great things the Lord has done. And we don't mean what we sing. And we've got nothing to complain about. We've got a wonderful life and that we've been blessed with. And yet here Paul and Silas are in prison. And their feet are fast in the stocks. And... If anybody had something to grumble about or complain about because of a situation, it might be these guys. And yet, they're singing praises unto God, and people heard them. What a testimony of shouting, To God be the glory! Great things He hath done! What? You're in prison. Are you getting the picture? You following along with me? At a time when the average Christian might be complaining or wallowing in self-pity over circumstances, these men were singing and praising God and praying. And instead of being moody, instead of being grumpy, instead of being cast down, instead of being discouraged, and instead of being discontent, they sang praise unto the Lord, and the prisoners heard them. What a testimony. Amen? If anybody could be discontent about a particular situation, it could be them, but they weren't. They didn't allow their circumstance to affect their mood and their ability to be spiritually minded. You ever notice that? That my circumstance or our circumstance often affects our ability to be spiritually minded? You ever notice that? You know, it does for me. Well, there's a particular reason why they were able to still be spiritually minded in spite of this circumstance and not let it affect their mood. Look at Psalm 28 with me. Just kind of hold your place here. We're going to look at a few different passages in Psalms. Psalms 28 and verse 6. The psalmist says, Blessed be the Lord, because he hath heard the voice of my supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth, and with my song will I praise him. You notice this? The psalmist says he's giving blessings to God. Blessed be the Lord because he heard me. 
he went to the Lord, first of all. He took his supplication to the Lord. Then he says, the Lord is my strength. He says, my heart trusted in him. I am helped, and therefore, my heart grace greatly rejoiceth. And I will sing a song of praise unto him. Now, I want you to look at Psalm 32, because I want you to find a connection here in these. Psalm 32 and verse 7. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. So the psalmist says, you're my hiding place. He says, you're going to preserve me and you compass my heart with songs. Now look at Psalm 40. Psalm 40 and verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it, and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Now look at Psalm 42. Psalm 42 and verse 8. Yet the Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night His song shall be with me, and my prayer unto, unto the God of my life. Now look at verse 11. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise Him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. Now, I want you to note that the connection with praise unto the Lord in the middle of difficult or trying circumstance is simply this. It is trust in God that is the connection that causes and it gives the ability to praise the Lord. Now, application. Is there some discontentment in your life over some circumstance? All right. Take a little self-check, a little evaluation. Is there some discontentment in your life over some circumstance? Discontentment in the life is a result of not seeing or trusting in the sufficiency of the Lord. Really believing that God is able that He's above these things. And this is the reason why Paul and Silas, in the middle of their trial, in the middle of their difficulty, could be such a great testimony to be able to sing praise unto God, even in the most trying and difficult of circumstances of life. Their trust in the Lord. And I want you to note something about Paul's life with me. And here's where Philippians 4 comes in. So turn over to Philippians chapter 4. <coughs> Excuse me. Philippians 4 and verse 10. Note Paul's words, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, 
in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now, the context in which Paul is writing here to the church in Philippi is that he's, he's thanking the church in Philippi for their care and their giving unto him to help meet his needs. He notes in verse 10 that he rejoiced in the Lord greatly for it. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. But not because he was in some great want at the time, because the Lord had taken care of him. Because he says in verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. So he's thanking the church for their care and their giving and their helping to meet his need. He rejoices in the Lord for that, but it's not because he had some huge need at the time. No, it wasn't that. The Lord had taken care of him. He notes in verses 16 and 17, for even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. So it wasn't some great need, and it wasn't that he desired a gift. He, he desired uh, uh, that, that fruit would abound to their account. He was not languishing because God had provided. But I want you to note two things with me that we can glean from this passage about the life of Paul. I want you to note specifically the condition at which Paul had arrived in his life, but secondly, the way he arrived there. Okay? You follow that? The condition to which Paul had arrived in his life, but secondly, the way that he arrived there. What was, first of all, the condition at which Paul had arrived? Paul says in verse 11, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. What was the condition or the state that Paul had, had arrived at in his life? He said, I've learned to be content in whatever state I am, whatever condition I find myself in, to be content. I've arrived there. I've learned this. That word content is important because here's what it means. It means to be independent of circumstance, condition, or surrounding. Let it sink in. I've learned in whatsoever state I am to be content, independent of circumstance, condition, or surrounding. Paul is literally and honestly saying that I've learned that whatever condition I find myself in in life to be independent of those circumstances, conditions, or surroundings. Our text bears that truth out, actually, because Paul, back in Acts chapter 16, their physical condition couldn't really be much worse. They had been arrested, they had been beaten, they had been bloodied, they're thrown in prison, their feet are fast in the stocks, and yet so little effect did that have on him and his attitude and his mood that at midnight he was able to sing praise unto God. They were independent of the circumstances, they were content. 
That's pretty powerful, isn't it? That's a great life principle. In other words, Paul was not mastered or controlled by the circumstances so as to let it affect his spirit, his function, his attitude, and his purpose. Can you say that? I know I can't. So let me make this application here. Circumstance or position or condition in life should not determine misery or joy. It shouldn't determine one or the other if we are independent of those circumstances. Can I say it again? I get some feedback from you here. Either this is really good and it's sinking in, or you're all completely knocked out with food comas or something. I don't know. <laughs> Circumstance or position or condition in life should not determine misery or joy if we're independent of those circumstances. Our joy should not depend on what is happening to us or what other people say and do around us. Our joy should not depend on circumstance or on what is happening to us in life. If we have learned to be content, then we're at liberty in Christ, not circumstance. He is our all in all. He is sufficient. His way is perfect. And listen, friend, to come to that condition or that state in life is very liberating and freeing to the soul and to the spirit. Learning how to live without allowing our circumstances to affect our inner peace and joy is what is real gain and real growth in the Christian life. 1 Timothy 6.6 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul says, my life, my happiness, my joy, they are independent of these things that are going on around me and even the things that are happening to me. My trust is in Christ. Therefore, even in the middle of the trying circumstance, I have the right spiritual mind to still give praise to God. And what a testimony that was. Amen. We could say, wow. Good for you, Paul. I'm glad you're spiritually minded. I'm glad that's good for you. You're like a spiritual giant. Those are some big words, Paul. I'm happy for you. But that's not reality for me. I want you to look at what Paul says in verse 12. I want you to note the all-inclusiveness of his claim here. He, he lists the exact opposite extremes. He says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. <coughs> Everywhere and in all things. I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. He says, I know how to be abased. 
He says, I know how to be hungry. I know how to suffer need. But on the other hand, I know how to abound. And I know how to be full. And I know how to have plenty. And you know what? I'm not too down when things are bad. I'm not too high when things are good. I'm independent of those things because my sufficiency is in Christ. We ride the waves when things are going great, don't we? Oh, we can praise God all the time for how good life is. When things are going good. What joy we have in the Lord and God is so good. But the moment things aren't going exactly right. And the moment things aren't what we want them to be or thought that they would be. Or the way that they should be. What's the phrase? Lower than a snake's belly in a wagon rut, wheel rut. How's that redneck saying go? (laughs) I think I heard Brother Humphrey say that once. Or 12 times. You get what I'm saying? My mood, my attitude, my spirit. It's lower than the circumstance. It affects everything else. I wonder what's more difficult to be abased or to abound without losing contentedness of mind and spiritual spirituality in our our thinking. I think they're both difficult, and one may be just as difficult as the other. The question is this, and maybe you should ask yourself the question right now. Can I be abased without feeling a sense of grudge? Or without being worried? Or without being anxious? Can I be abased and not have all of these emotions or feelings or normal human things completely control and dominate my responses in my life? Can I be abased in my profession or office or work? Can I somehow or another be cast down with something and still remain in spirit exactly as I was before? You following that? What a difficult thing that is to be hurt, to be insulted, to suffer some physical or emotional pain. Maybe one of the most difficult tasks in life is to discover how to suffer any or all of these things without feeling a sense of grudge or without complaint or without annoyance or without bitterness of spirit to discover how not to be anxious and to be worried. What a difficult thing. You say, well, big words. Big words, Paul. You've learned how to do that. You've learned how to be abased and you've learned how to abound. You've come to this place of contentment to be independent of circumstances. Well, let me tell you what, Paul. You're more spiritual than me.
Is that the right attitude? I think we need to see something else here because Paul tells us the condition that he arrived at. But he also tells us how he reached that condition. He'd experienced every kind of trial and tribulation, and yet he was unaffected by them. See some super spiritual giant that's just gifted and blessed. Uh, secondly, I want you to note how he arrived or how he reached this condition. In verse 11, he says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Look at verse 12. He says, I know how to do all of these things. In the middle of the verse, he says, Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul said, I have learned. Do you know what that phrase means? It means I've come to understand. In other words, the implication is he hasn't always been this way in his life. He says in verse 12, I'm instructed it means to initiate. It means to be taught. He had to be taught these things. And you know what? I'm thinking about this. and I'm like, I am so glad he said that. I am so glad he said that because the implication is that he's not always been this way. It's something he had to learn in his life, which gives me hope. Amen? In fact... The impression that we get from reading Paul's life in the New Testament is that this might have actually been a very difficult thing for him to learn in his Christian life. He seems to be a proud man by nature, somewhat of an intense kind of guy, maybe a bit sensitive, but he's also a very active person. There might not have been anything more irritating to the Apostle Paul than to have to sit in a prison somewhere when he could be out doing something for the Lord. That might have been one of the most irritating things for him, to have to just sit when he wants to be out doing. He was a Roman citizen, and yet he was enduring bondage with slaves and with criminals. How in the world could he come to this place? And what was his secret? How did he learn this secret of being content? He says, I've learned this. I've come to understand this. I've been taught this. Which is evidence of maturity in his life. How did, how did he come about to learn this secret? Well, first of all, I think he learned it through experience. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. <coughs> Excuse me. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9. You're familiar with it. Verse 9 says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now note this, 
Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. What is this in context of? Well, you know that it's in context of his thorn in the flesh. The Apostle Paul did not like the thorn in his flesh. He didn't like it at all, in fact. It was something he struggled against. In fact, three times he asked the Lord to remove this trial, remove this burden, remove this thorn in my flesh. You could get the sense that Paul might have been a little impatient at the time. Like, why isn't this going away? He wanted to go on preaching. He wanted to go on serving, but his thorn was keeping him down. It was a troublesome thing. And then he was taught this lesson. My grace is sufficient for you. He came to a place of understanding that You see the change in tone? He besought the Lord three times. Take this burden away. When he came to understand and learn the lesson that God's grace is sufficient, even in that trial, his tune completely changed. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities. He learned it through experience. And you know what? Experience is a great teacher, isn't it? Experience teaches us all. And some of us are slower to learn than others. But thank God that He is kind and He is gracious and He continues His perfecting work in us that we might be to the praise of His glory. Thank you, Lord. Little by little, as we work through experiences of life and troubles and trials, because the fact is we face them and we have them and there are hurts and there are emotions and there are difficulties and there are trying times and there are things that make you just want to quit sometimes. That make you want to go get some sunshine in Florida. There are things like that. That's the reality of life. But little by little, as we experience the hard things and we begin to work through it and the grace of God is given to us, all of a sudden we learn some principles that God's grace is sufficient no matter what the trial. And you know what? The next time I go through something like this, it doesn't have to be the same extreme reactions that I had last time. Right? You ever experienced that? Man, I didn't handle that one very well. <laughs> but the reality is that experience of life is probably going to happen again at some point. If I learn something through it, I can start to learn how to be independent of those trying circumstances. Right? And I don't have to be so down. And I don't have to be so controlled 
by feeling or by emotion or by circumstance. I can maintain a spiritual mind in the middle of it that allows me and enables me to be very balanced in my life. But I'm not there. In fact, sometimes the very things that I've learned, I don't actually do. The next time that comes around, I fail again. I didn't handle that very well. But I knew this already. Right? Isn't God good to be patient and to be kind and to work through experience in our life? To bring us to a better place of understanding. Maturity in the Christian life. Paul said, I learned this. And I was taught this. I I was instructed in this. And sometimes it's through experience. And that's how we learn and that's how we grow. I think the second secret here is that Paul learned it by looking unto the perfect example, the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. And I'll bring this to a close here. Hebrews 12, 1. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. I think Paul was the author of the book of Hebrews, more than likely he was. And his instruction here is, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Look what he endured in life for the joy that was set before him. Consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Because we have to endure some things in life. And the truth is, we are going to get weary. And we could faint, but when we look to Christ... And our trust is in Him and in God. Then we have strength. Paul said, look at Christ. But then Paul also said, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 17, that our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more eternal, exceeding weight of glory. And then I want you to look at verse 18, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 17, our light affliction. He calls it light affliction. How often do we think our afflictions are light? The afflictions that we're going through, man, they're the worst thing that could possibly happen, right? That's how we treat it. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. My trials are going to go on forever. 
till I die. But for a moment. There's nothing good that can possibly come out of any of this. It works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, we're not looking at the circumstance, but at the things which are not seen. What's not seen? The spiritual value in it. For the things which are seen are temporal. The circumstance and the trial is temporal. It's going to pass. But the things which are not seen, that's the spiritual side. Those are eternal. And those are of real value. And what I'm saying is, Paul took the principle of look to Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith. Consider what he endured, lest you be wearied and you faint in your mind. He took that and he applied it in his own life. And he said, these afflictions are light. They're, they're, they're temporal. And there's something so much more valuable at stake here. And he says, I've come to learn in whatever state I am, to be independent of the circumstance because, here it is, my total dependence is on Christ and His sufficiency. My grace is sufficient for you. Why could He come to the place of understanding and learn this contentment to be independent Above the, around the circumstance. Not too low, not too high. Doesn't determine joy, doesn't determine misery. In the middle of the night in a prison cell to sing praise to God, to have a spiritual mind. I've come to this point because I've learned to be dependent on Christ and His sufficiency. I just say, wow, I need that. I need a lot of that. Can you say that? Do you know that state, child of God? I sure don't. It's very convicting. And I would simply say to you, let this be our ambition. Amen. I have hope here because Paul said, I haven't always been this way. I've learned this in my life. I can learn it too by God's grace. No matter what may arise, His grace is equally sufficient to it, thereby enabling me to trust Him. And that brings with it contentment, no matter what condition we find ourselves in. If there is discontentment in your life, friend, or something that is troubling you in your life, then it may be that you're not seeing or trusting in the sufficiency of the Lord. That's my case. That's my problem. When I am not spiritually minded or I'm letting circumstances control me and the way I respond in my attitudes and my moods it's because I am not seeing or trusting in the sufficiency of the Lord he knows what's going on I can trust him and listen friend here's the 
concluding statement, our response to life circumstance really is a testimony. That testimony can be a good one or it can be a bad one. That testimony can draw people to the Lord or it can turn people off to Christ. The testimony of Paul and Silas was that they heard, the prisoners heard them singing praises to God. How in the world can you do that? And when all of a sudden the prison doors were open, the jailer was going to kill himself because you know what? They're going to kill me. I'm just going to do it myself. And Paul says, no, 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 no. We're all here. And what did he say? He didn't say, why are you still here? He said, what must I do to be saved? What a testimony that was. And I'm saying that our responses to life circumstances can also be a testimony. May this be our ambition. Amen? To be like Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, use your word in these moments and thank you for them. What a challenge this is. What a challenge to my own spirit, my own soul. And Lord, help us to learn to trust you more to learn that your grace is sufficient, to learn how to yield to the Spirit of God, to not be controlled by our flesh, and to not be extreme. Things are down, we're really down. When things are up, we're really up, and we're praising God. And to learn to live independent of all the things around us because our sufficiency is Christ. Lord, help your people. In Jesus' name, amen.